A very warm welcome, friends, to an online broadcast from Trinity Church. My name is David Gibson. I'm the Minister of Trinity, and we're meeting in these very strange, unusual times for us uh, with broadcasting sermons online. It's a new experience for us as a church family. And if you're not normally with us on a Sunday, you're very welcome indeed. If you're watching uh, wherever you are in the world, you're very welcome indeed uh, to join us and watch with us. And to our church family, I want to give a very special uh, and warm welcome to you as you join us. Uh, It is very tough, isn't it, for all of us not being together as a church family. Uh, These are difficult days, but the Lord is with us. We know that we're experiencing his goodness and grace in many uh, new ways, deeper ways, I think, within our church family. And today is another opportunity for us to come to God together in his word. Today is Palm Sunday, so we're going to have a sermon that directs us to that part of the Bible story uh, from Luke's gospel. Uh, Before we do that, I'm going to read a prayer for us again. Here is our prayer for Today on Palm Sunday, it is a prayer that I think is very relevant to what we're going to look at together. The prayer is from uh, this book, The Valley of Vision, and the prayer is called Continual Repentance. So I'm going to read the prayer, and then after that I'll read from Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Uh, we'll read that together. Continual Repentance. Let's pray. O God of grace, thou hast imputed my sin to my substitute and hast imputed his righteousness to my soul, clothing me with a bridegroom's robe, decking me with jewels of holiness. But in my Christian walk, I am still in rags. My best prayers are stained with sin. My penitential tears are so much impurity. My confessions of wrong are so many aggravations of sin. My receiving the spirit is tinctured with selfishness. I need to repent of my repentance. I need my tears to be washed. I have no robe to bring to cover my sins, no loom to weave my own righteousness. I am always standing clothed in filthy garments and by grace I'm always receiving change of raiment. For thou dost always justify the ungodly. I am always going into the far country and always returning home as a prodigal. Always saying, Father, forgive me. And thou art always bringing forth the best robe. Every morning, let me wear it. Every evening, return in it. Go out to the day's work in it. Be married in it. Be wound in death in it. Stand before the great white throne in it. Enter heaven in it, shining as the sun. Grant me never to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, of the exceeding righteousness of salvation, of the exceeding glory of Christ, of the exceeding beauty of holiness, the exceeding wonder of grace. Amen. Well, I'm going to read from Luke's gospel. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 12, from verse 49 through into chapter 13, verse 9. Here is the Lord Jesus speaking. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. 
He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Chapter 13, verse 1, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig round it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Amen. Palm Sunday is sign language Sunday. What do you like with sign language? What do you like at reading it? We read signs all the time, don't we, in a hundred different ways. We read literal signs. So you will have had on your screen an arrow somewhere around the screen. Press play, the sign for play for this sermon. There are picture signs in the world, aren't there? Water in a bowl, bread and wine on a table. Palm Sunday is sign language Sunday. We know the signs from the day, don't we? Palm branches waved in the air as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, cloaks laid on the ground before him, a donkey that he rides on into the city. Can you read the signs? You see, palm branches were a symbol of national pride. It it was like singing, oh, flower of Scotland, and waving a, a, a thistle, or like an English rose or an Irish shamrock. Cloaks laid on the ground is a sign of humble servitude before the king. And Jesus himself speaks in sign language, riding into the city, not on a stallion, but on a donkey. The king is coming to his national city to do what? Can we read the pictures? To serve. To serve. Palm Sunday is sign language Sunday. And you see, here's the thing. I'm I'm going to take us in just a moment. I'm going to take us to Luke chapter 19, verse 41, the Palm Sunday story. And here's the thing. All these individual signs, the palm branches, the cloaks in the dust, the donkey, are all part of the biggest sign, which is Jesus coming to Jerusalem. What does that mean? What is that a sign of? That's why we're starting together today in Luke chapter 12 and chapter 13, because the Lord Jesus is speaking to people who have a problem with sign language. Jesus entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, that sign, that particular sign is going to be misread because these people are misreading signs all the time. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 54. He said also to the crowds, 
When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. When you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat. See, it's not that these people can't read any sign. No, it's, it's that they can only read some signs. They can get the literal signs of the world around them, okay? But what they struggle to read is the sign of the times. Ah, they struggle to interpret the world in which they live. And oh, says Jesus, oh, that is so dangerous a thing to miss. So dangerous a thing to be unable to do, to miss the sign of the times. Look at, look at the signs that they can read. The weather, the clouds, the wind. Heat is coming. See, these are people who can check their phone. They know how to do it. They, they, they know whether they will need an umbrella or sun cream for today. But they cannot tell you what kind of moment they are in. Meteorological experts, but cultural, spiritual fools. Where are they in world history? Jesus is asking. Don't know. What kind of time is the present time, Jesus says? Hmm, not sure. Jesus is asking them, what is the sign of the times? What is the sign of the times? That's a great phrase, isn't it? Sign of the times. Pop stars have sung about it down through the years, from Prince to Harry Styles. We, we love to get our hands on the signs in our culture that show us where we are and show us what is really going on. So, Here's what we're going to do in this short time, this sermon together. We're going to listen, number one, to Jesus showing us a sign. Number one, Jesus will show us a sign. And then number two, we're going to listen to Jesus show us the times we live in because of this sign. The sign, the times, and then I'm going to give us two applications. If this one thing Is the sign of these particular times we live in. What should we do? How should we then live? So number one, the sign. I want you to look at chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. Jesus is showing us, giving us a sign. What is it? Jesus is saying here, God has put something in his world that speaks of the times that we're in. He has put something in our lives that is a gigantic exclamation mark. He has underlined it. He has put it in bold. It is a huge arrow pointing to the times we live in. It is just a sign. But it is a huge sign. It is a painful sign. It is an unmistakable sign. Let me show you chapter 13, verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. You see, something terrible has happened. There has been a religious massacre. There's been a terrible, terrible political injustice. And the best that we can tell about verse 1 from the history books is that some Jews went to offer sacrifices. Something went wrong. Pilate, the Roman governor, a brutal man, had these men slaughtered and he mixed their blood with the blood of their sacrifices. It was an awful barbaric event. People come to tell Jesus about it and Jesus says, what is this religious massacre a sign of? What is it a sign of? What is it pointing to? It is a sign of something. But what? Verse 2. 
And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Is that awful incident a sign that these Galileans were greater sinners than everybody else? See, many people think like that, don't they? When when the planes hit the Twin Towers all those years ago in 9-11, sadly, tragically, some commentators took to the airwaves to say, this is God's judgment on American culture, by which they did not include themselves as part of that culture or the failure of the churches in that part of America. No, Jesus knows. Jesus knows human beings can look at religiously or politically motivated disasters like verse 1. People can look at it and assume that those people must be worse than me. It's why why at the minute, friends, we have to be very careful with the language of God's judgment on the world just now with the coronavirus that is sweeping the globe. When we use language like that, God's people, us, the church, those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, when we use language like that, we cannot exempt ourselves as if we too are not part of the world we live in, sharing at times in the sins of the world around us. No, the coronavirus is not a sign, friends, that some people are worse sinners than others. And the fact that it is a pandemic is showing us that, isn't it? It is leveling us throughout the world. Every corner of the globe is affected, rich, poor, young, old. Verse 4, here's a second terrible thing. This time, verse 4, an industrial accident. A, A tower has fallen, crushed 18 people to death. Is it a sign, verse 4, that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, it is not a sign of that. But, friends, can we hear what Jesus is saying? These things are not signs of the degrees of sinfulness, but they are signs of something. They are signs of something. Here it is, verse 5. No, I tell you, no, not, not degrees of sinfulness, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? The death of some. The death of some, these Galileans, these people in the temple whose blood was mixed with others, these people who who died under the tower. No, the death of some is a sign of the impending death of all. That's the point. That's the sign. Death. Death in the world. Death all around us. Death by accident. Death by disaster. Death by religious violence. Death by global pandemic. The death of some, tragically, maybe horrifically, is a sign that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Jesus says, doesn't he, these tragic events are speaking to us. They are signaling to us. They are pointing to us. They are God's sign language to to you and to me that judgment is coming. And unless we repent, we too will all perish. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus. Number one, the sign. The sign is death pointing to judgment. Number two, What about the times that we live in? What are these times? Look at chapter 13, verse 6. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it and found none. 
For three years I've come seeking fruit and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? See, what Jesus is saying here is that God's people, Israel, are the vineyard. Jerusalem is the vineyard. God planted it and tendered it and watered it and loved it. And Jesus says, he sent me to come gather the fruit. And there is none. There is none. Time for destruction. In Luke's gospel, chapter 3, John the Baptist said, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. The axe is there ready to cut. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And it's as if here in this parable, the Lord Jesus sees God's axe raised high in the air and he's about to chop Jerusalem down by the roots. And he says, wait let it alone one more year let's give it one more chance one more opportunity to grow and be fruitful one more year of fertilizing one more chance to listen and hear me and love me let's have a stay of execution oh how jesus longs for fruit longs for mercy for growth for health what are the times we live in jesus is saying Oh, friends, why do we not know how to interpret the present time? Why do we not know? These are days of mercy, of patience, of the axe not swinging through the air, but the axe laid at the root. It is not swinging. There is the opportunity of time and more time and yet more time, more manure, more digging, more feeding, more chance to grow, more chance to listen and learn and love the Lord our God with all our heart and our neighbor as ourselves. Brothers and sisters, hear God's word. These days are the days of God's mercy. The present time is the time of of God's patience. It is the day of salvation. But the sign of that time, the sign of these times is the death we see all around us that points us to the fact that judgment is coming. We must repent for judgment is coming. So let me give us two applications, two applications for us. Number one, I hope you can do this today. Do not fail to see the blindingly obvious. Do not fail to see the blindingly obvious. We we need the Lord Jesus to speak to us like this, don't we? To, To tell us to look hard and long and true at the blindingly obvious because we so often don't see what is obvious. We fail to read the sign right in front of our eyes. Do you know the story of the customs officer? Uh, he is working at a border region. Uh, he's been told that Uh, There is a notorious smuggler coming through uh, the gates every day and this customs officer is waiting and watching and eventually this notorious smuggler arrives driving a truck and he knows he's somewhere on his person, in his vehicle, he knows he's smuggling contraband goods across the border. He orders him out of the vehicle, searches him, searches the vehicle and can find absolutely no evidence of any of the goods he's smuggling. Has to wave the driver through. The next week, the same driver arrives. He does it all again, again and again, week after week, month after month. He knows this man is a notorious smuggler. He cannot see anything, any evidence. Goes on for years, for decades, in fact. 
Eventually, the officer, customs officer, is about to retire. The driver pulls up one last time. The customs officer says, look, we've done this for years. I know you're a smuggler. Don't bother denying it. I know you're smuggling something, but look, I'll be darned if I can tell what it is you're smuggling. We've searched, haven't we? We've been through this. What are you taking across the border? Please tell me what you've been smuggling. Trucks. Trucks, the driver says. Friends, throughout the year of 2020, this year in which we're living, The Lord Jesus Christ has raised his megaphone to his mouth and once again to raise a deaf world and to awaken a deaf church from our slumbers. A church that has grown so inept at looking our eyes, using our eyes and seeing. Because we have become so bad at seeing, Christ has taken his megaphone to his mouth. Jesus is saying to us again, can you see the sign? Death, death is all around you, pointing to judgment to come. I want to ask you, are we seeing the sign only or are we reading the sign? Do you know how to read it? Oh, friends, everybody is seeing the signs. That's what the BBC are giving us every night, isn't it? You tune in at 10 o'clock. The death toll today has increased by X amount. That is seeing the signs. Everybody can see it. But the Lord Jesus is asking, can you read the sign, not just see it? Look at chapter 12, verse 54 again. Oh, oh, why do we know how to read the football team sheet and interpret who was most likely to win on Saturday? Why are we able to forecast? We look at the weather and forecast and predict what we needed to wear on Thursday evening. Why were we able to look at the stock market and decide whether to buy or to sell Why are we able to read a results table and work out which school to send our children to? This one will be better than that one. Many months ago, why were we able to read the data and decide, I think I'm going to vote in favour of Brexit, or read the data and decide, no, I'm going to vote against it? Why are we able to read and interpret, to use every trick in the book, to cover our backs and protect our loved ones financially for the next 30 years? How is it, Jesus is saying, we are able to read the world But we have not been watching lifeless bodies in Italy and Spain and China and the USA and the UK and see that judgment is coming. Why can we read some things and not others? Oh, we fail to see the blindingly obvious, don't we? Don't waste death, friends. Don't misread death. Don't missee death. And do not miss the blindingly obvious fact that today is the day of God's grace and mercy and patience. It is the day of patience. But friends, you know, the Lord Jesus doesn't just want us to see, does he? It's not It's not much use just staring at a sign, is it? You have to act on it. Do something. J.C. Ryle says this, when you see the sign of death, Let us take a kind interest in all around us. Let us feel tender pity and compassion for all who suffer violence or are removed by sudden death. But let us never forget to look at home, at us, 
and to learn wisdom for ourselves from all that happens to others. So here's my second application. Not just do not fail to see the blindingly obvious. Number two, do not fail to act on the blindingly obvious. Do not fail to act. What what does Jesus want his hearers to do here? What does he want us to do today, wherever we are in the world watching? He wants us to do chapter 13, verse 5, verse 3, repent, repent. He wants us to turn around and to go in a totally different direction that we've been traveling. When the axe is in the air here and the farmer says, right, I've had enough, time is up, cut it down. And the vine dresser says, no, wait, wait, one more year. What does it mean God wants to see? What's got to be different? What's got to change? One word, fruit, fruit, fruitfulness, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. John the Baptist says in chapter three, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, no fruit, face judgment or repent, do an about turn, let Jesus turn your life around and live for him and speak for him and die for him. Let every single part of your life be shaped by him and bear fruit for him. Jesus spoke these words heading towards Jerusalem. The clouds were gathering, weren't they, above his head for for him and for Jerusalem. And yet here he is giving Jerusalem one more chance. One more chance to turn it around and get their house in order. And what did they do? Did they repent? I want you just to turn to Luke chapter 19. Flick forward to Luke chapter 19 and verse 41. The verses before he has ridden into the city on a colt. The crowd have been chorusing. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. Surely all is well. They must have got their act in order. 19 verse 41, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. See, here is the Lord Jesus heading to the city on Palm Sunday. And he is seeking fruit. Seeking fruit. These days that Jesus is talking about here. You see in verse 42. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. What is it that would have made for peace? Fruit. Fruitfulness. These days that Jesus is talking about here, they came in AD 70 when Jerusalem was raised to the ground. Judgment came. That's what Jesus is talking about. The enemy set up barricade around you. Judgment came. Oh no, let, let it alone. Just one more year, more digging, more manure. And do you know what happened? No fruit. No fruit. And so the axe came. Brothers and sisters, we must not fail to act on the blindingly obvious. The sign points to a reality. 
Palm Sunday was a sign that judgment was coming on Jerusalem. Jesus the king coming to his city but being rejected and executed by his city. The vineyard owner's son sent to the city to gather fruit but instead is cast out, rejected and killed. Oh, that is a sign that judgment was coming on Jerusalem, that its days were numbered. And so it is for us, friends, the times of patience and mercy are temporary. The extra year is not eternity. It might be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of patience, but it is not eternity. The opportunity for repentance today may not be there tomorrow. I want to ask you today, as you're watching or listening, are you repenting? And is there fruit? One wise old believer said, I hope to carry my repentance to the very gate of heaven. What he meant was that repentance is not something I did when I was 23. You know, that's me into the kingdom. I've repented. I'm in. No, but something that I do every single day. I want want to ask you, through these times of lockdown and quarantine and social distancing and self-isolation, have you seen your sin more? Isn't it true that we've perhaps been more impatient with others, more quick to speak, more quick to judge, more quick to show our anger, our frustration? I think it is. Martin Luther in the Reformation, as he nailed these 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg... Number one, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be a life of repentance. Almost 30 years later when he died, his last written words found on a scrap of paper on his person were, we are beggars, this is true. We are beggars, this is true. Daily repentance, daily gratitude to God, daily sorrow for my sin, more than anybody else's sin. Repentance is the Christian's constant posture, isn't it? Let me ask you, do you hate sin more this year than last year? Is your own personal war on sin getting stronger, greater, more intense, more fierce, or is it slackening off the fires dying down? Have you struck a deal with sin, called truce in some area of your life? J.C. Ryle said, let every returning birthday find us hating sin even more. It's a lovely image, isn't it? As every year the candles increase on the cake and our hearts sink as we age. Actually, the believer says, am I hating sin more this year than last year? Let us never forget that, Ryle says, let us never forget that to be content with sitting in the congregation and hearing sermons while we bear no fruit is conduct which is most offensive to God. Oh, friends, these are deeply, a deeply challenging passage from the Bible, isn't it? Where God gives spiritual privileges. He looks for proportionate returns. Where God gives spiritual privileges, he looks for proportionate returns. Our friends, as we watch the Lord Jesus enter Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, is the Sunday to ask ourselves, am I growing in grace or standing still? Have I I lost all impetus to grow and love the Lord Jesus more? Look at the fruit of the Spirit. 
the letter to the Galatians, read them and pray for them. Are they there in our lives? Do we love them and long for them? And are we remorseful that there is not more of them? Oh, to be more patient, more loving, more faithful, more full of self-control. Here's another question. Are we more ready and willing to speak about the deaths of others than our own death? One commentator says, when you look at uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 1, that, that's exactly what's happening. Some local news, some, something's happened over here. Everybody's talking about it in the pub. And they come to Jesus and say, have you heard the news? What do you think about this? And Jesus says, what about you? What about you? This commentator says, in religion, people are ready to talk of anybody's business rather than their own anybody's business rather than their own have you heard about so and so do you know what they're doing but where am i with god before god it's true isn't it it's always always true jesus wants to turn the general chat and the general following of the large crowd he wants to turn the tables and ask instead about the specific fruit of the disciple Not the general chat, not the big crowd, but the specific fruit of the disciple. What about me with him, the Lord Jesus? What about you with him? For some of us, doesn't it, our fruit grows in divided homes as the Lord Jesus splits the world in two. We know this, maybe the line runs right through your living room, right down the middle of your bed. Look at Luke chapter 12 again. Verse 52, from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. Jesus brings us peace with God, but also brings tears into our home as fruitfulness grows. Not all our loved ones know him, treasure him, trust him. And in it all, here is what we know, don't we, that the Lord Jesus came to Jerusalem knowing that he would die for the sins of the city, entered the city knowing that he would die for the sins of his people. Oh, Palm Sunday is a sign that judgment is coming, judgment on the sins of the world, judgment on a world that has long since given up any interest in its creator, long since given up any interest in living fruitful lives before God. Palm Sunday is the day when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, knowing that to save his people, their judgment must fall on him. And so I want to ask you today again, can you read the signs? Can you see death all around you and through your eyes hear what God is saying? Come to Jesus and let God's judgment fall on him instead of you. Turn from yourself, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And if we do that, if we are hearing with our eyes, if we see and read, these are days of warning, days of humbling. That is so true for where we are in world history right now. It is my great longing, particularly for our Trinity Church family. And many of us, I think, are knowing this, coming to God freshly newly on bended knee may god keep us there keep us there all our days and may we hear him amen